We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Haggai chapter one. Wind just blew a page over and I was already out of the book. It's really short. Here we go. In the second year of King Darius, that's the king of Persia, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, that's a fun name, say that five times fast, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, these people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through with prophet Haggai. Is it a time for yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of Armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills on the grain. New wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and animal and on all that your hands produce. So that was God speaking. This is the people's response. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we open up this scroll of Haggai, as we look into this time in history in a place far away from where we live, in a context far different from our own. God, many of these things seem so unfamiliar. Would you, by your spirit, by your presence, open up our hearts and our minds and our ears? God, illuminate your word to us. Most importantly, help us to see you more clearly and to be transformed by you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I was at my mom's house when the storm hit, seventh grade. 
Some of you might have been in Arizona around this time to remember this. There was a giant hail and windstorm, and it actually destroyed the whole roof of my dad's house where I lived throughout most of my childhood. I would go to my mom's on the weekend. We came home, and it looked like a complete disaster. Everything was just ruined. My brother actually ended up filming like an apocalyptic scene there. He was making movies at the time, uh, and so it was a perfect setting for it. Our house was destroyed. And so we called up the insurance, and the insurance put us up in a hotel. And we ended up staying in three different hotels over the span of probably about six months. It was more than half of my seventh grade year. And then finally, we got the call that the house was finished, and we were able to go and return home. And it was the saddest moment of my seventh grade year because I loved living in hotels. It was the coolest thing. Got to the third one finally because the first two kicked us out. Apparently, six children running around and acting crazy doesn't do well for business. And so we finally got to the third hotel, and it was this Marriott Resort. And it was like where you would stay if you're staying for a few months, which is exactly what we did. What was really cool is my parents and all my younger siblings were in one of those rooms. And then me and my two older brothers were in our own room. We had our own kitchen. We had our own everything. It was amazing. I never had to see my parents if I didn't want to. That was the first cool thing. The second cool thing is every single morning, they had this amazing breakfast, right? Like, it wasn't just your continental, here's some muffins and some really old fruit, right? Like, it was like a really good breakfast. So we'd go down there, we'd get our breakfast. The other cool thing is the insurance also covered for this car service to come and pick us up and take us to school because we were no longer in walking distance. We had at one point this black town car would take us to school, and I just made my friends think that like I was rich. <laughs> I had my own chauffeur. It was so cool. So we were going back to our home, my own bed, my own stuff, and I hated the idea. I did not want to go back. I think it's interesting that God's people, they're being invited to come back to not just their own homes, but also to seeing Israel returning to what it was meant to be. And they're like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> let's just let's, let's, let's keep doing what we got going on over here. In fact, uh, there's lots of historical accounts that would tell us that there are some people who didn't even leave Babylon where they were because they were comfortable there now, right? And so you have this story now where the, some of them have even come back, though, into Jerusalem. They started to rebuild the foundation of the temple, and then some things kind of went a little wrong. And then it was like, no, you got the green light again. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And they're just apathetic to it. And so Haggai is God speaking through this man saying, hey, what are you doing? Wake up. Consider carefully your ways. Think about the choices you're making right now. Think about what it is you're building right now. And God's calling them, come back and rebuild this temple. Now, we got to understand, why does that matter? Why does the temple matter, right? A couple things I want to just kind of see real quick that Haggai is really quick to point out to us in order for us to see why the temple really mattered. Uh, and they're not going to seem related at first, but just go with me for a second, okay? Uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago when we saw Jesus riding into, on Palm Sunday, riding into Jerusalem on a colt, uh, we, we looked at and examined this idea of these three roles, prophet, priest, and king. 
And we talked about how in the very beginning in the garden, this is really kind of a picture of what humanity was supposed to be, like entering into all these offices together. But those things ended up being separated into three separate roles because of rebellion, because of sin. And so you never had a prophet who was also a king, never had a priest who was also a prophet, right? You get it? And so, but Jesus fulfills all three of those things. And what we see here in this story right away, as soon as you open it, is we're introduced to three characters. And there's Haggai, who's a prophet. There's Zerubbabel, which means drawn out of Babel, Babylon. And he, if you know some of his backstory, he's actually in the line of David. He is called like a governor here, but it's because they don't have their own kingdom anymore. If they were free and had their own kingdom, Zerubbabel would be king in the line of David. And then you have Joshua, who is a priest, the high priest, it says. So you have prophet, priest, king right off the bat. Haggai is trying to kind of give us a little call back and say, hey, God is trying to make things back to way, the way they were supposed to be in the very beginning. That's what he's doing here, right? The other thing that's very fascinating, and if you, uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this, I would love to talk and geek out about this with anyone later who has questions, but if you were with us before when we were also going through the series of Lent, and we looked at the six wildernesses that God's people traveled through before they got into finally the seventh promised land, and how that represented back in the day, here, let me draw it out real quick for you. Let's see if this works. We said there were like two sets of three days at creation, right? That connect with each other before they get to the seventh day of Sabbath. Can we see that? Okay, good. All right, and so these, the day one and day four correlate, day two, day five, day three, and day six correlate. First three days, God's creating space. The second set of three days, God's filling that space. So day one, God separates light and darkness, right? Day four, he gives sun and moon and stars. Get it? I won't go through the whole thing again, but uh, what we saw in the wilderness, there's six wilderness places that correspond exactly with those six days before they get into the seventh place, which represents Sabbath, rest. On that seventh day, God rested, he settled in, and he called it a holy day. And then when Joshua, different Joshua than this one, by the way, leads the people into the promised land, he sees a messenger from God guarding it. And he says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And that's where the people were meant to come and rest. Well, I bring all that up to say that in this book of Haggai, you're going to get six very specific dates mentioned. What's really cool about that is, one, you can see that this is a historical account that really happened. The second thing that's really cool about that is if you map those six days and what's happening in the story of Haggai, it also correlates to the six days of creation. Isn't that amazing? Now, it's not just a random like trivia fact that's really cool. What are they trying to do? They're trying to rebuild the temple with prophet, priest, king present because the temple was built in the first place to be a picture, an image of Eden in the garden. It was to remind them that God wants dwelt with them in their presence. So six days are mentioned here. And then what happens at the end? We're we're left to believe, well, then the temple's built, and it is. There's some problems with that temple. We'll get to that later, but that's the goal here. God is recreating for his people, and he's re-inviting them into their role 
of having dominion and authority over all things and being a light to the nations, being a nation of priests who would go and invite others in and also experiencing what they were meant to experience in the temple as a glimpse of what they were meant to experience at the beginning in the garden, God's presence with them. That's why this matters. Now, very specifically, uh, because of rebellion, because of sin against God, because we can't get back to the garden just yet, what the temple would do is it would do two things. It was where the glory of God actually dwelt, where God would actually be there among his people. But also because of sin, because it couldn't just enter into that, it was also a place where sacrifices were made so that the people could be made right with God. Those were the two primary functions of the temple. God's glory dwelt there. The people could make sacrifices there so that they could be made right with God. Now, how many years have they been sitting in here building up their own homes and not caring about rebuilding this place where the glory of God dwells and where they could go to be made right with him? This is why this matters. These are the people that God called to be his representatives to show the rest of the world what he's like. And they are building everything else in their lives except for, except for the means of being near him. And God's asking them to. And so this is what he starts saying to them. He's like, verse six, you've planted a lot, but you've harvested a little. You eat all the time, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, yet there's never enough for you to be happy with that. You put on clothes, but you never have enough to get warm. Do you see what he's saying is everything you do to try to build up a life for yourself, it all falls short, doesn't it? Does that ring true for anybody in here? Everything you do to try to build up a life for yourself, it all seems to fall a little bit short. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. I love that image. Like you're, just, you're getting paid, you stick it in your pocket and it falls right down your pant leg and you don't even know it. You're doing all this work, right? You're, you're walking around with a hole in your bucket and you're doing all this work to keep filling it up and it just keeps going right out. God cares about his people. It's not just, hey, what are you doing building your house? I need a house, right? In fact, if we were to rewind, let's go to 2 Samuel real quick. Chapter 7, verse 5. Uh, David, when he was king, when the, when the kingdom was first established, and David, as the second king, but the first really good king they had, um, he wants to build a house for God. He looks around and he goes, God, he, he kind of sees what the people in Haggai don't see, rightly so. God, I got this palace I'm living in. And you're still in the, the beta version of the temple, which was called the tabernacle. It was a tent that they had built before they got to the temple that Solomon built later. You're, you're living in this raggedy old tent. We've been dragging through the desert for 40 years. And I'm living in this palace. Let me build a house for you, God. And so the Lord says this through a prophet, through Nathan. He says, go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? Like you as a human, are you going to build a house that can confine me, the God of the universe? And if you skip down real quick to verse 11, he also says this. 
I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, to David, the Lord himself will make a house for you. So David's like, God, I'm living in a palace. You live in a tent. Let me build a house for you. And God goes, you, you build a house for me? I don't need that. The earth is his footstool, right? He's like, no, no, let me do one better for you, David. Let me reverse that. I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to make a kingdom and a nation out of you. And eventually, through your line, there's going to be one who actually restores the temple in its fullness. And in Haggai, you're kind of like, is that going to be Zerubbabel through David's line? Spoiler alert, it's not, right? So we know that God doesn't really need his people to build a home for him, for him to live in. So why, when we get to Haggai then, he's like, hey guys, what are you doing? Where's my house? Because he sees his people striving so hard to build something for themselves and it keeps falling flat. Because they're not living the life he had called them to live. Because they're not being who he is meant for them to be. And because they're trying to do it completely away from his glory and his presence, which was the sin that happened first in the garden, right? God, we could do all the things you've called us to do and we could have dominion and authority over all this earth, but we'll do it without you, thank you. We could decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. Let's do it away from God's presence, away from God's glory, away from his authority over us. So God doesn't need a house, like a physical home we're going to build for him. I can tell you the one time I have heard this preached in a church setting when I was growing up, it was around a building campaign, right? So like, hey, stop, stop putting your money, right? You're, if you've got a Christmas bonus, if you've got a tax return, stop putting it into home additions, right? Because we need to build the Lord's house and we're going to build a sanctuary so that people could come and worship. Buildings are great. That's not what this is about. That's not the point. God doesn't need a physical brick and mortar building for us to build for him so that his presence can dwell here. God wants his people to be restored to what he intended them to be. What is it that you're building? What what are the things you're striving for? And let me just read this again. Verse six, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Does that resonate with anybody? Let me tell you, this is not a condemnation. This is an invitation that the Lord is saying, hey, come to my house. Come and build into my kingdom. And there you will actually find the satisfaction you need. You will find the provision you need. You will find the care that you need. You will find the rest that you need. So we're doing a service project next Saturday where we're going to build. I'm just kidding. We're not, it's not about building something, right? Uh, what, what are you building your life into, though? What does that look like? We're going to hear lots of other stuff from Haggai chapter 2, but let's just kind of skip ahead in the story a little bit. Here's what happens. When you get to the book of Malachi, right? Two more books over, just a couple pages over. The last book in the Old Testament, we get told right then and there, hey, the temple has been built, but it's not the same. And the, the priests who are mitigating the sacrifices in there, 
they're actually wicked and they're, and they're making it unclean. And it's become this terrible, terrible thing to the Lord. Instead of a place where his glory dwells among his people, where he delights in it, it's become like an abomination to him. And he says pretty harsh things in Malachi. I wish we were kind of doing that one today. At one point, he tells the priest, I'll smear feces on your face. It's crazy, guys. Uh, we, we can talk more about that later. <laughs> I just dropped a little, okay, let me explain. It's unclean. I'll make you unclean is what God's saying. Because you're making my home unclean. That's what happens when you don't have notes and you randomly say feces in a sermon and you're like, I got to go back and explain this. My bad. But it's all gone wrong. That's the point. It's all gone terribly wrong. So what are God's people to do? The temple was a place where God's glory was there with them. And it was a place where they could make sacrifices to be right with him. And it's not working. Well, let's fast forward some more. If we go to John chapter one, verse 14, it says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So listen, that word dwelt is actually the same word. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew word tabernacle. That's what the tabernacle was. Remember, it was, it was the beta version of the temple that God's glory would come and dwell with them. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his what? Glory where the glory of God would dwell among his people, the temple. It's not working, and yet, God's not done. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself becomes this temple. In fact, let's go further again. John 2, verse 19, Jesus says this flat out. He tells him, hey, go ahead, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And he's not talking about the Jerusalem temple. He's talking about his own body. And it's exactly what happens is they do attempt to destroy his own body and he raises in three days. Jesus is saying the, the place where God's full glory shows up and dwells among you is right here. Well, there's a problem. There's a second thing the temple had to do in order for people to be able to come near God's glory to make sacrifices, right? Jesus is both the presence of God's glory dwelling with us and the actual sacrifice that allows us to come near. So that, so much so, so that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we can hear this. Listen to this, what Paul wrote. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now catch that, catch how crazy that is. You could not come near God's glory because of your rebellion. You were considered unclean. You had to slaughter with blood spilling, like a violent thing. You had to slaughter an animal in order to, for that moment only, get access to come near the glory of God. But because Jesus has been slaughtered on your behalf, now the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You are walking temples. And I'll go a little bit further. That is not a singular you. It is a plural. We, church, as the community of God's people now, are living, walking temples. Listen to this. I'm not making this up. First Peter 2. 
living temples, okay? As you came to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is building his own home, and he's using us to do it. We are the living stones where he builds a temple and his spirit resides among us as a community so that the glory of God can be known and present in the world around us. And so that as priests now operating in this function that we were meant to function as, we can tell people about the sacrifice that allows them to also come and draw near God's glory. Haggai is a preview. It's a foretaste. It's a glimpse of what's to come. And it matters because it mattered to the Israelites back then of what God was trying to do, but it matters for us today because we now know through Jesus, we are the temple. We are a living temple where God's glory is present and people can know that they can actually draw near to him. What does that mean for us? Well, God said it twice in Haggai 1. Consider carefully your ways. Consider your ways. Listen, notice the order of how I did this. This was intentional. I did not harp on consider your ways first and then get to Jesus. Jesus has made you clean. Jesus is building his temple through us. The sacrifice has been made. The work has been done. Now, consider your ways. A royal priesthood. Saints, followers of Jesus, disciples, Christians, whatever name you want to put on that to get you to recognize what our role is. Let us consider our ways. How are we living as the temple out in the world around us? How is our community seeing on display the glory of God and the sacrifice made through Jesus? I want us to see one more thing in Revelation 21, verse 22. When John gets an image of what's to come, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, heaven and earth being reunited once again and being renewed. He says this, in that place, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. There is no more need for sacrifice Jesus is the lamb who was sacrificed for us. And there is no more need to go to where this curtain was separating us in this temple. Because when Jesus died, that curtain was torn. There's no more need to go to a physical place because God himself would dwell among us forever. Like physically. Not just when we get together on Sundays and we sing about it and we talk about it and it kind of lights a little spark inside of our heart amidst all the other darkness around us. I mean physically. Like think about that. We will see God. We will talk with him. We will sit with him. We will eat with him. We will be able to touch him. And we will fall down at his feet. And yet this king over all things also calls you friend. He calls you family. He wants to dwell with us. That day is coming. In the meantime, consider your ways. How are you showing that? to the world around you so that your friends, your families, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates would also be able to draw near 
and experience the glory of God with you. Amen.